Open your Bibles, if you would, the Song of Solomon, chapter 6. We're already in chapter 6. After this chapter, we just have two more to go. We'll finish this book. Song of Solomon, chapter 6. We're looking at verses 1 to 3 tonight. The name of the message is Christ in His Garden. Christ in His Garden. Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verses 1 to 3. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? And this is the daughter of Jerusalem asking the, the bride in answer to the exhortation that the bride gave in the previous chapter, in chapter 5, verses 10 to 16, where we saw last time we met on Sunday evening, it's been a few weeks um, due to the weather, but we saw the bride just, her heart being exposed for her beloved and how wonderful, how wonderful he is to her. And this is, the daughters of Jerusalem are now asking about him. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that we may seek him with thee? And her response is, my beloved has gone down into his garden, to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. I am my beloved's. I am my beloved's. Boy, we could just stop there, couldn't we? I am my beloved's. I'm Christ. And my beloved is mine. Oh, it just gets better. He feedeth among the lilies. So two weeks ago, we looked at Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verses 10 to 16. Let's read that real quick. My beloved is white and ruddy, and this is her, her answer to the daughters of Jerusalem over why is, her, why is her beloved different than other beloveds? And this is the believer's cry. And the believer's exhortation. And we will see the beauty that she sees in her bridegroom. My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. Oh, he's distinguished among ten thousand. He's, he's the fairest, the chiefest. His head is, is the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices. His sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with, with a barrel. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. She sums it all up, doesn't she? She says, he's altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. So he's revealed himself to his people, and this is her response. This is her response to the daughters of Jerusalem tonight that we'll look at in that question they ask in verse 1, whither is thy beloved gone? Now, now the daughters of Jerusalem are interested. 
after she's expounded the beauties of her beloved. And several commentators say the daughters of Jerusalem picture God's lost sheep who are being drawn by the Holy Spirit of God. Now she's inquiring. The daughters of Jerusalem are now inquiring about, even more intimately, about the bridegroom of the bride. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 45. <clears throat> Again, in Song of Solomon 5, 10 to 16 there, we saw the bride proclaiming who her heavenly bridegroom was and what he is to her. And we know that this pictures the church. And we know also that our heavenly bridegroom, the only way we know him, and the only way we can say the words that the bride said there is by revelation. The fact that he's revealed himself to us through his word, the fact that he's taught us who he is, and that we now have a love for him that we never had before. And that's how we tell others about him, don't we? We tell others because we're born again. We're, we're blood-bought saints of God. And he's revealed himself to us, hasn't he? Just as Joseph revealed himself to his brethren. They did not know who he was. They had no idea who he was until Joseph revealed himself. Look at Genesis 45, verses 1 to 7. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before the, all them that stood by him, and he cried. Now remember, he, they had come to him several times, and they didn't know who he was, but he knew who they were. Right? Christ knows his sheep. We don't know him before conversion, but he knows us. He knows us. What a picture, beloved. What a picture. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him. Well, Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. They had no clue who he was. But here it says he made himself known unto his brethren. Beloved, we have no idea who Christ is until he makes himself known to us. And it's the same with all the brethren. Right? Right? And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. Remember what they'd done to him. Remember what they'd done to him. Think of what our sins. Right? Why did Christ go to Calvary? Pay for our sins. To pay for our sins, beloved. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me. What's the Lord tell his people? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I pray you. And they came near, and, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry, with yourselves, that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before to preserve, to preserve life. And God sent me, or for these two years at the famine, being in the land, and yet there are five years in which there shall be 
shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. I ask you who are redeemed here tonight, have you not been saved by a great deliverance? By a great deliverance. So just as Joseph's brethren did not know him until he revealed himself to them, we do not know Christ until he reveals himself to us. And the daughters of Jerusalem picturing God's lost sheep being drawn to him. They don't know him, but now they're inquiring about him. Now they're inquiring about him. And we who are the redeemed of the Lord again see ourselves in Joseph's brethren. We didn't know him until he revealed himself to us. And what a great deliverance he has wrought for us. And he has saved us, beloved, from all our sins. Now is it any wonder then the bride who who knows Christ speaks of his beauty and his majesty as the bride did to the daughters of Jerusalem in chapter 5, which we read? Is it any wonder why she proclaims how beautiful he is? How wonderful he is? He's the lover of my soul. He's the one who's purchased my eternal soul with his own precious blood. And so we as believers, we want to proclaim him. Think of this too, for the bride, he's her beloved. He's her redeemer. He's her God. The Lord Jesus Christ is all this to the believer. All this to the believer. Now we can only speak as the bride does when we are born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And it's he who teaches us about our heavenly bridegroom through the preaching of his word. So tonight we'll be in chapter 6 where we'll see the daughters of Jerusalem here. Let's look at that verse again, verse 1. Asking the bride where her bridegroom is. Whither is thy beloved gone, O thou fairest among women? Whither is thy beloved turned aside, that we may seek him with thee? Now notice she says that we may seek him with thee. The daughters of Jerusalem here represent an inquiring soul, which is seeking Christ under the impressions of grace, being drawn by the Holy Spirit of God with cords of love, with cords of love, being drawn to the Savior. And note the latter part of the verse again, that we may seek him with thee. With thee. See, remember, the bride has told her of his beauty. And now she says, where is he? Where is he? That, that we may seek him with thee. And see, gospel preachers, we get up and we just proclaim Christ and the beauty of him and what he's done. And the Holy Spirit takes those words and uses it to draw his lost sheep to him and to build up believers in Christ. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And note the daughters of Jerusalem calls her the fairest among women. The bride knows that she's only beautiful in Christ. The believer knows this. We know that we're only beautiful in Christ. In our natural state, we're black with sin. But in Christ, we're beautiful. Clothed in his righteousness. Perfect righteousness, too. There's no spot in his righteousness. None at all. So the sole cause of the bride's loveliness is Christ. The sole cause of that is Christ. 
and the daughters of Jerusalem to be desired to be made partakers of the same. That we may seek him with thee. Any time the Lord blesses a preacher's ministry to have questions concerning our Lord put to them by those seeking Christ, it's a great joy. It's a great joy for people to come. For not just the preacher, for any any believer. It's a great joy when people start to inquire about our Savior. When they start to ask questions. It's a great joy because he's the one we want to tell them about. Anytime a seeking soul asks one of the Lord's sheep about Christ, it's a great joy. And let us take note that the inquiry he made concerning Jesus is not who Christ is, because the daughters of Jerusalem have already made that inquiry. Look at verse 9 of chapter 5. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? So it's not... It's not concerning who Christ is, because she's already asked that. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou fairest among women? What is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou doest so charge us? So the inquirer of who he is has already been answered in that discourse that we looked at from verses 10 to, 10 to 16. Now we see the change in the daughters of Jerusalem. Now they're saying, where is he that we might seek him too? <laughs> Where is he? Where is he? They want to seek him with the bride. How shall I find him? Whither is thy beloved turned aside that that we may seek him with thee? Martin Luther brought forth from this verse four things, four impossibilities with man. It's impossible for man to call on Christ unless he believes on Christ. It's impossible for a man to call on Christ unless he believes on Christ. It's impossible for, for a man to believe on Christ unless he's heard of Christ. Unless he's heard of Christ. Unless he's heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's impossible for a man to hear of Christ without a preacher. That's what scripture declares. And it's impossible for a man to preach Christ, to truly preach Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit unless he's sent of God to do so. And we know also that it's impossible for a man to come to Christ unless the Holy Spirit makes us willing, unless we're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. So salvation is of the Lord. It's all of him. Even the preacher proclaiming the gospel is sent by God. He's, he's one who's born again proclaiming to others the wonders of Christ, the wonders of Christ. And, and, and the preacher's sent to God to do so. And the bride had told the daughters of Jerusalem about Christ, proclaiming who he, who he was and, and, and the beauty that's found in him, that she sees within him. See, at one time she saw no beauty in him in our natural state. We saw no beauty in Christ. We didn't. But now we see beauty in our Savior. He's wonderful. He's beautiful to us. He's the fairest among 10,000. He's the chiefest among 10,000 to our soul. Truly, he's our heart's desire. And God's preachers proclaim who Christ is, what he's done, and where he is now. Where he is now. The fact that he is the God-man mediator. The fact that he is the second person of the Trinity. The word of God incarnate in the flesh. Fully God and fully man. The fact that he came to save his people from their sins. And the fact that he's accomplished this. 
He's accomplished this. All we do is rest in that finished work, don't we? That's what we do. We look to Him who finished the work. It's so opposite of religion, isn't it? Which tells you you've got to, continue, you've got to do something, and then you've got to keep doing it. The gospel preacher proclaims salvation that's finished. That's accomplished. Accomplished. He did it all. And with his own words. And let anyone inquires about what we believe, just say, it's finished. Salvation's finished. I rest in the finished work. Accomplished by a perfect Savior. The Lord Jesus Christ. He did it all. He did it all. He saved his people from their sins by the shedding of his own precious blood and by him dying as a substitute upon Calvary's cross for our sins, for the sins of his people. And then the fact that he's risen from the grave where he is right now. He's victorious. He's seated right now, right this second, in the next second, and all the way to eternity and Keeps on going, doesn't it? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Victorious. Victorious. And he's our mediator, isn't he? He's our mediator. Right now. Right now. And he rules in majesty. And he rules in power. He's not waiting to come back and rule and reign. No. No, he rules and reigns right now. In everything. And everyone is subject to our great God and Savior. Whether people believe it or not. It's incredible. And where shall they hear? Where shall one hear the wondrous things proclaimed by the bride about her beloved? Well, the answer is found in the next verse. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. In the church, where the gospel is preached and proclaimed, where God's free grace is proclaimed by a man sent of God, there the beloved bridegroom is in the midst of his bride. Think upon this. It is a garden of his choosing. Every single plant in the garden of the Lord is a plant of God's choosing. Brother John, when you put your garden together every, every spring, you choose the plants that you want to put in there. You go to the store or you go buy the seeds and you choose the, the ones that are going to go in that garden. And only those go in that garden. Same with our Lord. He chooses every single plant. It's wonderful. And he cares for it and watches over it. Oh, it's marvelous, beloved. He's the great gardener. He's the great gardener. <coughs> My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens to gather lilies. The church is the Lord's garden. And you know he purchased every plant in there. He bought every plant. Just as when we make a garden, we go and we purchase a plant or purchase seeds. And 
we plant them in the ground? Well, he purchased us. He purchased us with his own precious blood. This is his garden. It's, the plants don't decide, well, I'm going to go in this garden. That's what religion claims, isn't it? Plants say, well, I'm going to go with this garden over here. I'm finished with this garden here. I'm going to go in this one now. That's not how it works. This is a garden of God's choosing. And every plant he purchases and he plants. Every single plant. And do you know he fences it up? And he protects this garden? It's an enclosed garden. It's a protected garden. It's protected by his providence. And it's protected by his power. It's protected by his power. And the scripture here tells us he dwells in the garden. What's he promised us? What's he's promised his people who are, who are plants planted in his garden? What's he promised us, beloved? That he'll never leave us. Nor forsake us. He cares and watches over us. Think of this, you who are the beloved of God are just like a plant in his garden. And he loves you. And he watches over you. Isn't that wonderful? Oh, man. It's wonderful. All by his providential care. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices, to feed in the gardens, and to gather lilies. Now Josephus, the Jewish historian, brings forth that Solomon used to go very early in the morning in great pomp to Etham. Turn, if you would, to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 15. He used to go to Etham. It's about two miles from Jerusalem, called a pleasant place, according to Josephus, abounding with gardens and flows of water. And, and some say that this could be what he means here. And this could be in respect to the king's garden, too, nearer to Jerusalem, which were at the mount, the scent of Mount Zion, and reached to the lower pool, in which, lying lower than the king's palace, he might have been said to go down into it. And we see that in Nehemiah 3.15. But the gate of the fountain repaired Shalon, the son of Kohosa, the ruler of Mizpah. He built it and covered it, and set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof, and the wall of the pool of Shiloh, by the king's garden, and into the stairs that go down from the city of David. And this is the one that's at the descent of Mount Zion. And so it may speak of that too, meaning that he goes down into his garden. But either way, it shows our Lord's condescension, doesn't it? The fact that he leaves the, the palace, which we could represent as glory, and descends down into his garden. It also shows the condescension of Christ when he came down to earth to redeem his people from their sins. But let it be known, too, that the Lord is in the midst of his people when we gather together. Where two or three are gathered together, in my name there am I in the midst of him. He's ever with us. So think of that. Even in our lowest state here upon this earth, our Lord comes down in our presence, and he comforts his people, doesn't he? He comforts us through the preached word of God. He comforts us. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the bed of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. Now turn, if you would, to Song of Solomon chapter 2, verse 2. 
what does the Lord refer to his bride as? Over in chapter 2, a lily among thorns. Remember? A lily among thorns in our study over there. Song of Solomon 2.2. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Now this is speaking of the believer amongst the world. The believer amongst the world. As a lily among thorns. And look what it says in our text in verse verse 2 of chapter 6. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the bed of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. When the Lord takes a saint of God home, he's gathering a lily, beloved. He's gathering a lily. Taking it home to his heavenly garden. And what comfort we can glean as believers from this. For loved ones who we've known and friends who we've known who've died in Christ, they've gone home to be with the Lord. There are lilies that are being gathered by the great gardener by the great gardener, our heavenly bridegroom. And they are now enjoying everlasting fellowship with him. Everlasting fellowship with him. And soon he's coming to gather all of his lilies. Turn, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We don't, we don't know when this time is, but we know every day it gets closer Gets closer every day. If any man tells you he knows what, what the day is and the times is, is lying. But we know every day we're getting closer. Now we, we will either get closer to being in the Lord's presence by our own death or if the Lord comes back when we're still alive, then you're gathering all his lilies up at once. Oh my, look at this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. What a hope the believer has, eh, in Christ. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These are words to be comforted. Comforts the believer. Comforts the believer. One writer said of this text we see, over in Song of Solomon. My beloved has gone down into his garden to the beds of spices to feed in the gardens and to gather lilies. One old preacher of old says this. He picks the lilies one by one and gathers them to himself. And there will be a general harvest of them in a great day, which we just read of, when he will send forth his angels to gather all his lilies that he may be forever glorified and admired in them. In them. Let's consider verse 3 now. Let's consider verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Again, we see the lilies mentioned. These are the words of the bride's own heart. They minister to her soul as she ponders 
what she has said here. I am my beloved's. And my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. Have you ever stopped and considered these words? Just stop and consider these words. How much, a mir- how much of a miracle it is by God's grace that every believer in Christ can say, I am my beloved's. And my beloved, my beloved is mine. It's a miracle of grace. That we who are sinners could even say that. It's a miracle, beloved. And it's all God's doing. It's all His doing. That we could even say, of Christ, and we know this is the bride speaking of Christ, speaking of God incarnate in the flesh, speaking of the one who, before we knew Him, we may have used His name as a Bible. Now the name that is absolutely precious to us. The the one spoken of whom we say I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. This is truly a miracle of grace. He planned this wonderful salvation. God himself planned this wonderful salvation in and through Christ alone. He purposed it. And he executed it. He executed it. This wonderful plan, which is the redemption of his people. And the believer marvels that Christ did this for me. Is it any wonder she cries, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine? She marvels that she can even proclaim this. Ponder these words. It's, it's a miracle that we can even say this. And it's all by God's work. And all by, you know, we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, born again by Him. Redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. All according to His mercy and His grace. Undeserving sinners can cry, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He died for me. And the whole bride proclaims this. All the elect of all the ages, the blood-bought saints of God, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. She's assured of her relationship with Christ, knowing it is no way dependent upon herself. There's another difference between grace and religion. Religion tells you that your relationship with Christ is dependent upon what you do. But our relationship with Christ is is in no way dependent upon our faithfulness. We'd be in a heap of trouble, wouldn't we? 
but it's dependent upon his faithfulness. And the scriptures declare that God is faithful. He's faithful. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 8. The bride of Christ is those spoken of over in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, where the scripture proclaims this. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 to 13. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God and they shall be to me a people. This is speaking of the bride of Christ, beloved. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor. And every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. We're taught of God. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness. Oh, how merciful God has been to us. How merciful God has been to our unrighteousness. And let this sink in, beloved, right here. And no wonder the bride... Proclaims, I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. Look at this. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins, how many of them? All their sins, right? And their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. This is God speaking. God is speaking this about his people. God who nothing escapes his eyes. And he says right here, the forgiveness in Christ is so great and so grand and so perfect that he says this of his people who he's redeemed by by his own precious blood and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. What a great forgiveness. What a great salvation. In that he saith the new covenant, he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxes old is ready to vanish away. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. My. That is sweet to my soul. Is it so with you? That's sweet. And again, no wonder the beloved cries out. No wonder the bride cries out, I am my beloved, so my beloved is mine. See, we know our own sinfulness, don't we? We know how unbelief plagues us. And it does every one of us. If we're honest, it does every one of us. But remember this, you who are redeemed of the Lord, He is faithful. He is faithful. He keeps us. He feeds us with his precious word. And God's people cry out, Oh, the wonders of the sovereign grace of God in Christ. Oh, the wonders. What wondrous love is this? Oh, my soul. Oh, my soul.
Remember the chapter before this, the bridegroom had withdrawn from her. He chastened her for a while, but praise God, our standing before God is never based upon our works, but upon the works of the Lord Jesus Christ. And remember in Sunday school, we we studied this today, that we're lively stones built up built up in holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus only through our beloved. Only through our beloved. So the bride is is comforted by her own words here. I am my beloved. This springs from a heart full of joy. This springs from a heart that's being redeemed. And what strength we can glean from these words here. I am my beloved. Just If something happens through the week, just remember this. I am my beloved. If something comes up that seems insurmountable, I am my beloved. And my beloved is mine. And that don't change. That won't change because we're safe in Christ. And the believer is strengthened and filled with joy and love for her beloved. Again, note it says, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. The affections of her heart for him are now verbalized. Are now verbalized. True love. True love for Christ is not merely believing doctrine, although doctrine is very important, isn't it? But true love for Christ is not merely believing doctrine or, or creeds or fall on a set of forms because there's people who believe right doctrine but are lost. True love for Christ is not merely believing doctrine or creeds or fall on a set of forms and ceremonies. No, it's a heartfelt love for Christ springing from a from a regenerated heart, one who's born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And as a result of that, we love Christ. And we love the great truths and doctrines of the Scriptures, don't we? Because they all spring from Him. They all find their center in Him. In Him alone. And true conversion makes Jesus supreme in the heart of the believer. And when we are born again, we cry out with the, with the bride here. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. The bride knows again that her standing before God is not based upon her works, but based upon his works. Her acceptance with God is not based upon her works, but by his works, and by all of grace. The only reason we are accepted by God is in and through Christ Jesus our Lord, and it is all by the grace of God. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 89. The bride holds fast by faith the everlasting covenant which stands unbroken in Christ in spite of our many sins. Look at Psalm 30, or Psalm 89, I'm sorry, verse 30 to 37. I got ahead of myself there. Psalm 89, verses 30 to 37. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, 
If they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then I will visit their transgression with a rod and their, their iniquity with stripes. God chastens his people. He does. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once I have sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne is the sun before me. It shall be established how long? Forever. Forever. The covenant that God established with Christ is forever. That's the same covenant that we're saved in. Eh? The covenant of grace. beloved. Oh my. As the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven, Selah. So the bride says, I am my beloved. I am. My beloveds. Right now, I am my I am I am my beloveds right now. And I am my beloveds for eternity. And every believer can say that. I am my beloveds. I'm Christ right now. I'm his, I'm one of his sheep right now, and I will be forever. <laughs> it's wonderful. My beloveds, he owns me. He created me. He purchased me. And one day I'll be in his presence, glorified by him. And every believer can say this. May we as believers look upon our beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ, despite our own sinfulness and our own corruption, and cry out with the bride, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. Think of this, we are beloved of God, but think of this, we are Christ by the eternal gift. God chose us in him, in eternity. We are Christ by a special redemption, by a special purchase. He didn't die for everyone, but praise be to God, he died for his people. And he gave his life for us. He's purchased us. Every one of his sheep with his own precious blood. God himself. God incarnate in the flesh. Turn, if you would, to Acts 20, 28. God incarnate in the flesh did this. The one who was fully God and the one who was fully man, the Lord Jesus Christ, has purchased me with his own blood. Here's a great verse to take people who deny that Christ is God. Here's a great verse to take people to. Acts chapter 20. Verse 28, look what it says. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God. So the church is the church of God, the elect of God, the called out assembly, the ecclesia, to feed the church of God, which he, who purchased, who purchased the church? God purchased the church. The Lord Jesus Christ, God incarnated in the flesh, which he hath purchased with his own blood. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Jesus Christ is the God-man. 
And the believer proclaims, of the God-man, our beloved, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Again, we're his by creation. He's the creator. And the believer in Christ is his by purchase. He redeemed us, purchased our souls at Calvary's cross. And nothing can change this fact. Let this sink in, beloved of God. Nothing can change this fact. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Now, people say, well, if you preach that, man, people will just go crazy and do whatever they want. No, they won't. (laughs) No, they won't. No. The love of Christ constrains us from sin. Nothing can change this fact. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Look at the second part, though, here. The second part of the statement is just as wonderful or even better than the first. My beloved is mine. I am my beloved, and my beloved is mine. He who holds all things together by the power of his word is mine. All that I need is Christ, and he is mine. He is mine. All that I want by faith. The only one we look to. The one who is the lover of my soul. Is mine. Oh, what peace we can glean from this. What wonder. We can sit here and wonder and look at this. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He is yours because the Father gave him to you. And the Father gave you to him. He is yours too because he swore that he would be. He said, I will be for thee. And he will be forever. He'll never leave nor forsake his people. It is he who has revealed himself to you because you were one of his sheep. He is our beloved and we trust him because he gives us faith to trust him. He gives us faith to rest and repose in him. And the believer cries out, what a wonderful Savior is Jesus Christ, my Lord. Is he your Savior? Have you trusted him? If not, may God make it so. May he grant you faith and repentance to look to Christ and to look to Christ alone. Now remember over in chapter 2, he called his people a lily among thorns and this pictures us in the world. The thorns being the unbelievers of this world. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 2. Now note the latter part of verse 3 here. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. He feedeth among the lilies. He feeds among the lilies. He meets with his people in his garden. He speaks to us through the preaching of his word. He communes with us through his word. 
He reveals Himself to us through the preaching of His Word and through the teaching of His Word. And we hear proclaimed as we gather together to fellowship around His Word. If I am planted in His garden, then I'm one of His. And I am, uh, I am among those whom He comes to feed among. What great comfort we can glean here, beloved of God. The faithfulness of our beloved. The faithfulness of our great God. The faithfulness of our Redeemer. And may we who are redeemed cherish this, the privilege of gathering together with his saints in his garden where he still feedeth among the lilies. Close with Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. What a great privilege it is for the believer to gather together amongst the saints. And what a great privilege it is for us that God has given us a desire to do so. Because not everyone desires to be hearing the gospel of God's free and sovereign grace in Christ alone. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Your goodness and mercy and grace. Again, we thank You that You have called us together that we are a called-out assembly, an ecclesia. And, O oh Lord, we know that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there are you in the midst of them. O oh Lord Jesus, may we glorify you. May we marvel this week at these precious words. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Oh, what a great salvation we have in thee. May you be glorified and magnified throughout this week upon the praises of our lips. In Jesus' name.